In the name of Jesus Christ, dear fellow redeemed by the one who became a child for us, who lived and died for us, who rose for us. <clears throat> so we do have uh, two very fascinating men here. And they lived in a certain time and a place in history. So let's begin with Caesar Augustus. <clears throat> he was born in 63 BC, but he was born Octavian. That was his name, Octavian. But then he was adopted by his great uncle. And his great uncle was Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was then assassinated in 44 BC by Brutus and Cassius. Augustus, or Octavian, was only 18 at that time. And to uh, skip over a, a lot of historical events here, uh, Octavian and Mark Antony um, then joined forces to defeat those who has, had assassinated Julius Caesar and defeat a whole army in the city that's known as Philippi, one we're familiar with in the Bible. But then uh, October, Octavian defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra in the year 31 BC. And that left uh, Octavian as the sole ruler of what was then the Roman Republic. And a few years later, the Roman Senate gave Octavian more authority and allowed him to take on the name that he wanted, Caesar Augustus. So the reason we have that month called August is because of this man called Caesar Augustus. So he uh, reigned as emperor for 42 years from 27 BC until 14 AD. And then he would be succeeded by Tiberius Caesar. And uh, nobody doubts this, that uh, Caesar Augustus was the greatest of the Caesars. And usually if people are asked about him, they remember him for, for two things. One, he um, created what we call the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome a peace that existed for about 200 years. Um, it wasn't a perfect peace, but uh, Caesar Augustus did make the Roman Empire a relatively peaceful place compared to what it had been and what it would become later on after those 200 years. He was also responsible for um, making sure there were new roads built, approximately 250,000 miles of roads. and. Of those roads, about 50,000 were paved roads. They were amazing roads. I mean, the solid is what we have now, you might say, not as wide, but they were very, very um, solid roads. And he built them to a large degree because of his armies so that they could go and conquer and secure his, his empire. And of course, uh, because of that relative peace, that would allow for Christianity to spread much more rapidly um, few centuries down, or a few decades down the road. And the other thing that he's remembered for, of course, is this census. Um, everyone was to go to his own town to be registered, and this was for tax purposes. 
And of course, at that time, uh, Joseph and Mary were living in uh, Nazareth. And I'm sure Joseph didn't get real excited about having to take his, his wife-to-be down to Bethlehem. But uh, Joseph probably also understood very well who this child was within the womb of his betrothed wife, that this was the Messiah, and that this Messiah, he would have understood, was to be born in where? Bethlehem. So he was probably uh, greatly encouraged by this directive coming from Caesar to get down to Bethlehem, and perhaps he was quite thankful too. And so she did give birth in Bethlehem, and thus uh, was fulfilled a prophecy in the Old Testament from Micah chapter 5. So those are some things about uh, Caesar Augustus. Let's go to Herod. Herod the Great. Herod the, the Great ruled the kingdom of Judea from approximately 40 B.C. By the way, he was... Uh, he was appointed to be king by Mark Antony. Um, and, uh, and even though he was king of Judea, he was still submissive to the Roman Empire and to Caesar Augustus. Uh, but he ruled for about 30-some years, 31, 32 years, something like that. And he was quite an impressive ruler. Um, and after he died, three of his sons ruled in his place. They divided up his <coughs> kingdom. Archelaus didn't do very well. He only lasted about 10 years. He ended up slaughtering about 3,000 Jews, and so they had to get rid of him. Uh, but uh, one of his other sons, Herod Antipas, um, did okay, you might say. He was the one who beheaded John the Baptist, and he's also the one before whom Jesus was on trial after Jesus appeared before Pilate. And then that uh, dynasty continued for a little while. Uh, Herod the Great had a grandson by the name of Herod Agrippa. He was the one who put James the Apostle to death and wanted to put Peter to death, but wasn't able to because of a miraculous escape by, by Peter. Um, and Herod Agrippa I died a very painful death. And then there was one, <coughs> one more Herod, Herod Agrippa II. Um, he um, ruled a part of Herod the Great's original kingdom, and he was the one before whom uh, St. Paul appeared. And Paul gave this uh, tremendous testimony about the, of the truth of Christ and Christianity. I would not be surprised if we see Herod Agrippa II in heaven. He seemed to be quite interested in what Paul was saying. <clears throat> but going back to uh, Herod the Great, he was a great builder. He built the city of Caesarea in honor of Augustus Caesar, Caesar Augustus. He rebuilt Samaria. He built fortresses. He built other towns. He built a magnificent palace uh, that was guarded by three strong towers. He named these towers after a brother and a friend and after his wife. He had two wives, I think, that were named Miriam. This might have been the one that he killed. <laughs> he was. And, and that's the other thing he did. He killed his enemies left and right. He didn't bother him at all. Sometimes they weren't even his enemies. He killed three of his sons. He killed, like I said, his wife. He killed a high priest. He killed, on one occasion, most of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And so 
he wasn't really well liked a lot of the time, even though he, he tried to uh, compensate for that by, by building things for the Jews. So the most magnificent thing he built was the new temple in Jerusalem. And it was a magnificent temple. There were two temples previous to this one, the last one he was kind of rebuilding. But it was much larger and more magnificent than the other two. And in doing so, of course, he was trying to uh, appease the Jews and at the same time make sure that he was being submissive and honoring of uh, Caesar Augustus in Rome by the other things that he, he built. And of course, the most serious crime he committed was the massacre of all those baby boys in the vicinity of Bethlehem, who were two years old and younger. He did not want competition. He wanted to maintain his, his power. He wanted to be respected, even, even adored, you might say, by the people but especially he wanted to maintain his power over people. He wanted, you might say, to be like God. That's what happens so often when people get into positions of power. They, they think they can pursue that being like God mentality. <clears throat> All right, let's talk now about history. You know, what sets Christianity apart from all other religions to a very, very large degree is that, that Christianity is rooted in history. It is intimately tied to history. It is a part of history. It is historical. It is historically verifiable, we would say. Um, Christianity weaves around the various persons and events and makes use of them. Can we say that of other religions? Well, maybe a couple of them, but barely so. Um, Islam tries to pawn itself off as a historical religion. Uh, Mormonism tries to do that, but they really fall short, especially when compared to Christianity. So there are a couple of things here I want us to understand when I say that Christianity is rooted in history. Um, we have to remember that history is God's. From the beginning to end, God is guiding and directing all of history. And he's doing so for his purpose. And so what we see here with these two leaders, the king and the emperor, the Caesar, is that he is using each of them to bring about the fulfillment of prophecies of the Messiah found in the Old Testament. In the one case, where this child would be born, in Bethlehem, and in the other case, the beginning of the sufferings of the Christ child. So that's one thing we see when we realize, remember, that this is God's history, and he is using people, places, and events to bring about his good and gracious will, namely the birth and the work of the Messiah. But there is this other thing, too, that I want to mention to you when it comes to Christianity and history. Let me introduce it by giving you an example. So I say to you, once upon a time, 
there was a boy named, pick any name, Samuel. He was poor. He was able to overcome his poverty. He was opposed to much of his young life, and he had to run for his life. And, and then he rose to leadership, and he saved many people, and he became a ruler, and he established a kingdom, and it prospered, and it was a secure kingdom. Now, if that's all I told you, and I didn't tie any of those things I just said to real history, it'd be very easy to conclude that what I just told you was a legend or a myth or make-believe. By putting this Jesus in the midst of real historical people and events, where he's surrounded by historical persons and events, where he's a part of historical places and times. This requires that Christianity and Christ himself not be understood as mere legend or make-believe or myth or human invention. So this is what our texts do. They tie Christ to history, real time and space. So we have to look at him that way and not as myth, not as legend. Jesus needs to be understood and believed as God incarnate, as God becoming man in time and space. Jesus needs to be understood and believed as the one who fulfilled the prophecies of the promised Messiah in time and space. Everything from the manner of his birth to the place of his birth, to his amazing life, to his claims, to his teachings, to his suffering, his death, his resurrection, in time and space, in history. Jesus needs to be understood and believed as the Son of God who for 30 years really lived in that place in that time and did those things in time and space and history. If we divorce Christ from history, we end up putting Christianity in the category of legend and myth. And Christianity becomes meaningless if it is not really rooted in history. In other words, if it is not really true in history. You know, we may, may think this is a no-brainer, preaching to the choir, right? Um, yes. But... People can easily go in this direction because of all that is out there in society, in education, wherever. I was just listening to a podcast the other day where this lady here in our culture was saying, I don't think we can ever know who Jesus Christ really was. And I said, what? I mean, there it is, black and white historical records, just as real history as it, as it describes Herod and Caesar, and all these other people there as well. So let's, let's learn one more lesson from Herod. 
Herod did not understand why he or anyone else should bow before this one who was born king of the Jews. For he did not know that this newborn king was not there to be, to be served, as Herod saw his position, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A completely different kind of king that Herod could not comprehend. Again, Herod only saw this newborn king as one who would get in the way of his power, his authority, his sin, his rebellion against God. And Herod said, I'm going to keep my power, my authority, my sin, my rebellion against God. The sad thing is that Jesus the king came to serve Herod as much as you and me here. Jesus went to the cross for Herod as much as he did for all of us here. He won forgiveness for Herod as much as he won forgiveness for us. Herod could have been saved, even up to the last moment of his life. But you know, Herod did not want to let go of his sinful flesh. He did not want to repent and, and trust in this everlasting and merciful king who had come to serve him and who has come to serve us. So one of the great lessons we learned from Advent is that, um, as we'll see with John the Baptist later on too, is that uh, one of the great messages of the Advent season is to make sure that we are living in repentance regarding our sins, both those we know and those we don't know. We come before God on a daily basis and say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned against you in thought or word or deed or all of the above. And then, of course, to look to the one who came in the flesh for us to be our Redeemer, to be the one who atoned for all our sins so that we may no longer live for ourselves, but for him who lived and died for us. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall be forevermore. Amen. And now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.